Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Um, I trust you had a great week. This week has been full on so many fronts uh, for us. We've never really taken a break at any level for a long while from anything, literally. Our lives are consumed with the will of the Lord. It's what we live for. Nothing else matters to me than doing the will of the Lord in the earth. When I, when I go to the grave, I say to someone this week, I want to go empty. I want to go having poured my life out in reference to the will of the Lord on various tears and on various fronts. I don't live for anything else. Uh, to live for anything less is not to live for me at all. It's to exist on the planet for X amount of years, have do something, raise a family, whichever, and exit having not contributed to the unfolding nature of God's purposes in the earth. And so I've been speaking about um, to you about um, the principle of offering strong support to your leader. This was a spin-off from a focus which we had on grace to help, grace to help in times of need. And I said to you, to receive help, you must sow help. The help that you want to harvest in your life must be a direct result of the help that you have sown. Uh, we were also one of the many people this week that won the spa rewards where they pay for your groceries at your till. Okay, we went shopping uh, this week at, as we got to the till. And the lady said, oh, you won. No, you don't need to pay for your groceries. And the Lord said to me, I've seen all the times you've paid for others. Now it's your turn. Yeah. Now it's your turn. Let me just say this to you. There's nothing you sow that never comes back to you. I kept teaching you this. I said, if not now, then later. But so you must. You will never come into bountiful blessing until you learn the discipline of, of sowing. If you sow help, I'm going to say this very categorically to you, very definitively. If you sow help to another, one way or another, it's coming back to you. There's nothing you do to help another. That God does not see, regard, observe, and will not in time come back to you. But it will come back to you far more than you've sown. It will come back to you pressed down, shaking together, and, and running over. So I want to encourage you, always sow. Tell someone, sow help. Some of us want to only be the recipients of help. Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. You just want it this way, but position yourself to be a help that way. And see what God does for you see what the lord does for you i i practice sowing at every level i try to sow something give something away every day i don't want it to become an event i want it to become a culture of my life you're you're a giver right you're always giving if it's not spiritual resource if it's practical resource if it's financial resource if it's time if it's an encouraging email or whichever learn how to give 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 one of the greatest gifts and expressions of giving that you could master within your spiritual life is to offer support to your spiritual leader. This is the one powerful way in which you recruit grace unto yourself. I don't want to labor the point and rehearse 
the various reasons for this and how you can do this. We've been laboring this for the past few weeks, but there's tremendous, tremendous blessing in store for those who practice this very, very important disposition in Christ. Until it becomes a revelation to you, you'll never prioritize it. Okay? Until it becomes a revelation to you, it'll, it'll not be manifested within your life. And I pray today as we just try to round this up, I pray as I continue speaking that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. I pray that you would really see today the powerful, potent truth that this is. Let me be very clear with you. This is not my attempt to recruit support to me. It's not my attempt to do that. I say to God, no matter who helps me, who doesn't help me, you call me, I will do the work nevertheless. If people come on board, that's out of revelation. I cannot command you to do a thing. If I command you to do it, then your, your, your obedience is born out of a reaction to a command. But better you respond out of a revelation of the truth. Then no one needs to remind you, coerce you, etc. You know? Then you respond out of revelation. Dr. Seki often says, I don't send emails or reminders to anybody. Because if people don't respond out of conviction, they're responding out of reaction to my voice. And that doesn't become a long-lasting um, disposition within them. When you respond out of conviction, you're responding out of revelation because of the truth that you perceive in your, in your heart. Okay? Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, everyone say, uh, turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul is Timothy's father in Christ. Timothy is the spiritual son. Paul is the spiritual father. The father says this to his son. You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance. Persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord did what? The Lord rescued me. Go back to the previous verse. What about Paul did Timothy follow? Come on, talk, let the scriptures talk to you. What did Timothy follow in Paul? He said, you followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. You followed my purpose. You followed my faith. You followed my patience. You followed my love. You followed my perseverance. And then later he says persecutions in the next verse. My point is, in the father-son relationship, the son must follow the father completely, not partially. You don't just copy or follow his doctrine, the word that he, that he preaches. You follow his conduct or his lifestyle and purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. All those things are an education to you. When we were in, in, in Kenya recently with Pastor Thamo and James Mbuguya hosted us, I learned more out of the sessions than I did in the sessions by observing how Pastor Thamo conducts himself. So the observance of a father's lifestyle is an education in and of itself. Okay, Never follow the doctrine of a leader if his conduct doesn't befit the doctrine he espouses. The doctrine is only valid if it's expressed in the lifestyle of the leader. 
A leader whose lifestyle is divorced from his doctrine, you don't follow at all, okay? So you follow a, a leader's conduct. But the thing I want to focus on, everyone say purpose. The thing about the father-son wineskin, or if you don't like the terms father-son, if you're a member of a congregation and you're responding to a leader, the, the thing that defines that relationship Preeminently, number one is the word of the Lord. Everyone say the word of the Lord. So the word of God is the defining factor that governs the father, son, wineskin. Say it again, the word of the Lord. My relationship with you is primarily rooted on the Bible, on the word of God. That is the flow of doctrinal teachings or messages as God would give them to me, so I give them to you. That becomes the, the focal point of the relationship. We love each other, and that's very good. Love should be the basis of, of everything. But if you're not prioritizing doctrine, the first thing, you see, you never come to purpose until you come to teaching. First, what in order of things did Timothy follow about Paul? The first thing was teaching. So be steeped in the teaching. right? And in this church, we make it easy for you. Right? I don't even say go to the website. I'll give you the link to the specific page on the website. It's just a click away and you access the message. Tell someone it's a click away. Where possible, we make hard copies available for you. I know very few churches that actually do this. Why am I so focused upon it? Why do I prioritize that? Everyone says it's the word of the Lord. It's what defines us. If you don't love the Bible, there is something seriously wrong with your salvation. I'm going to tell you this. If you don't love the Word of God, you are not saved. Newborn babies, the first thing they cry out is for milk. Yes. Uh, pediatricians will declare a medical emergency if an infant doesn't cry for milk. Apostles and prophets today should declare a spiritual emergency in the global church because so-called sons of God don't love the Bible. Don't love God's Word. If you have a passion for Word, if your passion is more for a TV program, a sport game, some other thing than God's Word, something seriously wrong with your salvation. Tell your neighbor, it's time to adjust. Today's service is a setting in order service. Listen carefully. I'm setting the house in order. And you'll hear some things later I want to discuss in the caucus. But if the Bible is not our focus, we are, we are in this for the wrong thing. Yeah? If, if, if the thought at reading your Bible doesn't well up joy inside of you, something drastically wrong. I will, like a pediatrician declares, a medical emergency. If you're not desirous for the milk, the bread, and the meat of God's word, something drastically wrong with you. Right? Tell your neighbor, yearn for the word. I won't say what William Hinn said once. He said for crying, he was talking about William Hinn, Benny Hinn's brother. A few years ago he was down. He's passionate about the word. Um, he's so steeped in the word. He said to us, trying to, to um, cause us to prioritize doctrine and God's word, he said, with tears in his eyes, he says, brethren, for crying out loud, it is God's word after all, but you just treat it so shabbily. Right? But we give time to so many other things. Let me just say this. In the Father, Son, wineskin, everyone say teaching. That teaching must be reflected in conduct. 
then you go into purpose. So once the doctrine of your spiritual leader you embrace and you see it modeled in his life, the next level of commitment would be, I'm going to buy into the purpose for which God has called you. You see, there's a purpose attendant with the apostle Paul. There's a mandate and a mission as an apostle. Timothy is here on the side. Timothy is following the man, following his conduct, well, his doctrine and his conduct. And Paul is saying this. Everyone say you. Come on, say it, you. Who's talking? Paul's talking, right? He's talking to who? Timothy. Paul is convinced. This is not Timothy's boast. I want to be very, very clear. This is not Timothy's boast. This is Paul's observation about Timothy. Right? It's not what Timothy's. Paul says, wow, I have many other sons, many other followers, but you. Everyone say, but you. Um, my favorite 21st birthday gift. I'm now 50 years old. So 29 years ago. <laughs> when I was 21. Sounds like a long time ago. Um, I had a 21st birthday present, a uh, birthday party at home. It was a braai. The whole church was there also. 54 Rayleigh Crescent, Assemblies of God Church. All the elders, the pastors, everybody was there. So I got a lot of gifts for my 21st birthday party. Right? Um, and so we were, we were courting. So everybody left home. I think it was a Friday night we had the party. Renee and I, my parents, left at home. So I go into my parents' bedroom where all the gifts were stored. There were piles and piles of gifts, like mountain of gifts on the bed. So when I'll be starting the process of opening each one. Various things. I was like, wow, this is great. I'm being so blessed. And yet towards the end of the opening gift ceremony, there was a little book wrapped up, a small little thin book. I caught my attention as I opened it. I said, wow, it was Paul's message to Timothy. The book was entitled, Paul's Message to Timothy. It was a commentary by John Stott. John Stott's a notable evangelical theologian. It was a commentary on the book of 2 Timothy by John Stott. That night, before I slept, I started reading. And I never stopped reading. Come to my office today. You'll find that book on my shelf. It was given to me by Phyllis Francis. Auntie Phyllis Francis from, from AOG. Uh, a mother in Christ that prayed for us very, very regularly. For me, that was my best gift ever amongst everything. It was my most, it's still my most treasured prized possession in my bookshelf. Do you know, I started studying the whole book of 2 Timothy and then 1 Timothy after a while. It set me, it configured my whole mindset in reference to leadership and how I, I govern my life from henceforth onwards. There's a phrase that recurs throughout 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It is, but you. Everyone say, but you. Right? Or, oh you. Paul would say, but you. Paul's talking to his son Timothy, oh you. What Paul is saying is, everybody else can be doing their own thing, but you, Timothy. Right? He says, but you, oh man of God, flee youthful lusts. Let the others go for it, but don't go the way that the world is going, but you be different, O Timothy. Okay? So when you read statements like this, you, now you, everyone say now you, and now you have followed my 
teaching, my conduct, my purpose, faith, etc. I want to talk to you primarily about buying into, which I have already, but just to consolidate this, buying into the purpose of your spiritual father. When Timothy saw Paul, he saw a father in Christ. Not just a nice man full with nice words and profound revelation and doctrine. He saw someone that had divine purpose and mandate attached to his life. And Paul said this about Timothy. You didn't just like my doctrine and you saw my conduct was a mirror of my doctrine. You were totally convinced that I have purpose and you have followed that purpose. Go to Philippians chapter 2. I'm just jumping all over the place. Philippians chapter 2 verse 19 to 22. I'll, I'll come back to this focus in a moment. Just hearing the Lord saying, I said this to you, but I want to stress this again. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Who's Paul writing to? Philippians. The whole city at Philippi. I want to send Timothy to you so that I might be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Then he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your, for your welfare. Everybody else, they all, other guys, not Timothy, other people, they all seek their own interests, but not those of Christ. But you know he's, you know Timothy's proven worth. Like Paul boasting about his son. Everybody else does their own things for their own interests, their own purpose, but not this guy. This Timothy of mine, you know he's proven worth. He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. How? Come on, how? Read the text. Like a child serving his... The key here is when you serve your father, you serve with your father. Listen, he served with me by serving me, he's serving with me. Never ever perceive, listen carefully, of support to any leader as a, an inferior position and you are propping or pushing somebody out. Never perceive it that way. From God's perspective, when you support the man, you are actually alongside him from God's perspective. God just needs protocol, order, and rank. He needs someone to manage things and to push purpose. Those that come alongside are mandated from God's perspective to serve with the leader. Tell someone, serve with the leader. You serve with the leader when you serve the leader. Please listen carefully. It's not the man you're serving. What is our focus? Say purpose. What did Paul say? You followed my purpose. And here he comments about Timothy's disposition. Versus a whole host of others doing their own thing. Everybody else is following their own interests. He said, but Timothy's proven worth. You know this guy. He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his, like a child serving his father. I said to the Lord, I want that. I want to serve my father in Christ and God, when I serve Him, not the man, your purpose in Him, like Elisha washed the hands of Elijah, if I as a son serve my man of God, my leader, my spiritual father, call him whatever you want, pastor, terms are, 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 are neither here nor there, 
whoever is over you in the Lord, when you serve them, you serve with them. How many of you read 2 Chronicles 23, 24 last night? For those of you who did not read, you're disobedient. The reason why I'm saying this, what defines my relationship with you? Come on, what defines my relationship with you? The Word of God. If you don't have a passion for God's Word, you see, coming to church is not like it used to be. I don't want to just be a member of a church that, you know, it's fine, and then we go home, we live life, and nothing much happens. I want to do some purpose in the earth. Amen? I want to get some things done. Amen? So you, you, did, you did not take me seriously if you had access to that message and you did not obey that instruction. You need to take me more seriously and do what I tell you to because we are busy with what? Everyone say purpose. We are busy with the purposes of the Lord. This is not some social club that massages your back. We have stuff to do in the earth. And let me just say this, it's going to be serious all the more as we proceed ahead. I don't want to have collateral damage in this congregation. I've seen how congregations, please listen to me very carefully. I've seen how congregations that have global thrust are the subject of demonic scrutiny. Demons will come to investigate. What, what we do is we open ourselves for demonic investigations by virtue of the profound impact that we are having. So my concern is, let's tighten up the base. So if ever, you know what, what Jesus said about Peter? Satan has desired you to sift you like wheat. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Why to Peter? Because of the profound work and purpose Peter would play in the New Testament church. So Satan knew this guy is going to be pivotal. Sift, you know a sieve? When you sift like flour, Satan has desired to check the very fiber of everything that you are. But what did he say? I have, I have prayed for you. So I want to encourage you. That's why my concern is let's tighten up every aspect of all that we are such that none of us are found wanting when Satan does an investigation, forensic inquiry as to us. The reason why I say this, Jesus said in another portion in John, the prince of this world has come, but he finds nothing in me. He's come to investigate me, but he cannot find the term in the Greek means this. He cannot find anything in me that's akin to himself. Nothing in me that is like him and that legitimizes an attack against me. Tell your neighbor, you must be clean. At every, I'm, 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 I'm appealing to the house. Be clean, pure, and holy at every level. Be righteous in all of your dealings. Amen. Now, I can't get away from the statement. Everyone say he served with me. By serving me. Served with me like a child serving his, like a child serving his father. In fact, go, because I mentioned Jehoiada, go, just go there quickly. Second uh, Chronicles 23 verse 1, go there, Luke. Jezebel was married to Ahab. Their daughter was named Athaliah. After Jezebel and Ahab died, Athaliah, together with the husband, managed the throne. When he died, she was committed to ensuring that no one from David's line will occupy the throne. 
So what she did, she went on a rampage, killing all those connected to the Davidic line in the tribe of Judah. Now, had she been successful, what would have happened? She would have ruined God's prophetic plan that the Messiah will come from the line of Judah. Don't see this narrative as simply some drama playing out. This is a direct attack at the, re at the representation and the revelation of Christ in the, in the future, right? This is everything, that the whole thing is an attack against Jesus, right? And so what happened is, this, there was a priest. His name was Jehoiada. Jehoiada realized what this lady, this Athalia, is up to, okay? Bad woman. Her mother is Jezebel. Uh, Jezebel was a control freak. Now, this, this disposition, uh, and she was manipulative, this disposition is amplified in her daughter, Athalia. Right? You thought Jezebel was bad. Beat Athalia. So what happened? Athalia killed all the royal seed. This priest took a boy, a little child, who was, who was next in line to become king after the Davidic line in the tribe of Judah. And she hid him. He, he hid him from the threats and the rampage of death that Athalia meted out in the whole of the land. Okay? Now, look at this verse. In the seventh year of Jehoiada, what did he do? Everyone say he strengthened him. When this guy realized, everyone say purpose. When he realized purpose is at stake. Say it again loud. Purpose. This is what I want, I want to get into our spirits. Say it again. Purpose. He, not my purpose. Say God's purpose. When he realized, yay, yeah, the threat, the attack is against the purpose of the Lord. Do you know what this guy did? Instead of being victim and being uh, impulverized by the threats of Athalia. Remember Jezebel's threats even made Elijah run. This is like very bad. This guy, this guy, this, this guy Jehoiada is a priest in the temple. He said, no, I'm not going to stand for this. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to strengthen myself. So tell someone, strengthen yourself. Strengthen yourself. Then read the text. He took captains of hundreds, and I'll leave out all the names mentioned here. And the Bible says, and they entered into covenant with him. So he took key leaders, key people, and he entered into covenant with them. So whatever he's going to do now, they're going to do. Right? And verse 2, it says, They went through Judah and gathered Levites from all the cities of Judah and the heads of fathers' households of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. So he's gathering heads, uh, leaders, Levites and heads of fathers' households. He's gathering what? Not people, but leaders. So this guy can strengthen himself, but he also knows how to strengthen leaders. Tell someone, strengthen a leader. Right? Strengthen a leader. Then in verse, I'm going to skip a few because of time. In verse 3, it says, all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign. The Lord has spoken concerning the sons of David. He says, this lighty, right? I think he started reigning at seven years old. Joseph was a boy. He's protecting the next king. He's still a boy. 
He strengthens himself. He strengthens the leaders. And then everyone say all the assembly. So he gathers all the people and he strengthens the people, arming them with the prophetic word and will of God concerning kingship that should stay within the Davidic line. Everyone say purpose. Is Jehoiada passionate for purpose or not? He's risking his own life to preserve the king. So he realizes this threat of Atalia is very lethal. First thing, myself, I have to be strong for this one. Tell your neighbor, you have to be strong for our next phase. Now, watch, strengthens himself, strengthens the leaders, strengthens the people. And then in verse 11, he brought out the king's son, that's, Jeho- that's Joash, and he put a crown on him. This is a little boy now, eh? Put a crown on him, and he gave him the testimony. What's the testimony? A copy of the first five books of the Bible. The Torah, he gives him the word of God. And he made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, Let long live the, the king. I'm leaving details out because you should know them by now because you have read the scriptures last night, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> by this time, he organized this woman to be slaughtered. He arranged the whole thing in meticulous detail how they must take the threat out. Tell someone, take the threat out. Let me just say that if you perceive there's a threat against the purpose of God, of Gate Ministries, Durban Central, and Randolph, stewardship of that, your position as a support would be, I'll take that Athalia out. I'm taking that threat. That's going to hinder what we're doing corporately. Everyone say strong support. Say ahu. Come on, like a who, a who. Right? Right? It's, like, it's like, wow, this, this must be dealt with. The king Jehoiada, the, the priest Jehoiada says concerning the king. And I like what he, he's done here. He strengthens him by giving him, he's still a boy, but he gives him the word of the Lord, right? Gives him the testimony of the Lord, right? Ensures that my leader, my king, never stray from the Bible. Never stray from the from the word of the Lord. Look at 24 verse 2, just for time. For those of you that haven't read this, I encourage you before you sleep tonight, it'll bless you. Meditate upon it. Meditate upon the Bible. Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. This Jehoiada, his support is so powerful. So long as he's around, the king is doing what is right. Right? Now, you can be that to me. I don't get it right all the time, by the way. This is still flesh and blood last time I checked. Right? Still subject to, to failure. I don't want a bunch of yes men around me. But if you perceive, Randolph, you're going off here. In deep humility, with great reverence and respect, come to me and say the testimony of the Lord. The Bible. Right? I'm I'm saying this publicly. I'm open to that. Okay? So long as Jehoiada is around, the king is doing what is right in the, in the sight of the Lord. Tell, tell someone, become a Jehoiada in the spirit. Right? Become a Jehoiada in the spirit. And then look what happens. Um, I won't read the details here because of time. In, in chapter 24 from verse 8 onwards. 
to verse 14. Now Joash is growing up and he's maturing. He's, he's a man now. And he's, he's, he's becoming mature in the word of the Lord. And he realizes the house of the Lord is in disrepair. So he gives instructions that monies be collected and that the house of the Lord becomes, becomes restored. The king commanded. Everyone say he commanded. And they made a chest and set it outside by the gate of the house of the Lord. They made a proclamation in Judah and Jerusalem to bring the Lord, the levy fixed by Moses, the servant of God in the wilderness. Verse 6. Look at this. The king did what to Joida? He summoned the man who helped him, protected him, preserved his life, ensured that he comes to the throne. The same guy is now being summoned by the king that he put there. The king summoned Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the levy fixed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, for the congregation of Israel, for the tent of the testimony? Jehoiada is reprimanded by the king that he installed. Why have you not done this? And there was a command given that it must be done, monies be collected, which was basically the tithe, and the house of the Lord was, must be repaired. Do you know the hallmark of Christian maturity is the ability to receive correction? What if you were there? You know, most, most modern Christians would say, do you know who put you there? <laughs> You're talking to me. Where were you when you were alighting, defenseless? Who came around you? I was the one, bro. He says, no, 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 no. Okay, my king, full with the word. Now I bow to your directives. Never ever think that you are above correction, even though for all the great support for all the great support you gave up to a lead to a leader up to a point in time. Never ever think that gives you license not to be corrected by that leader. Yeah? A lot of people say, Well, he corrected me for after all I've done for him. No, he has every right to correct you in spite of what you have done or not done. Jehoiada models this. Everyone say second man. Who is the first man? King Joash. Who is the second man? Jehoiada. Listen carefully. His help or support was not with a view to promotion. He was completely comfortable where he was. He was not doing this to make the way clear for my promotion within the system. Okay? Sometimes you just need to be comfortable with where you are. And just support because that is what God has called you to. Paul about Timothy says, others seek their own but not Timothy. Okay, he is genuinely concerned for your welfare or you Philippians. Okay, so Jehoiada's motive is not for promotion. But check when this guy is buried. Verse 16. When he is buried... When he is buried, they buried him where? When Jehoiada dies. They buried him in the city of David where? With the kings. Is he a king? No. So what is he doing in king's tombs? From God's point of view, this man is king material. He did not occupy the position. He was second to the king. But the quality of his support and his understanding, everyone say of purpose, made him a king in God's eyes. 
You don't have to lead anything. But if you can support something led by another, when God looks upon you, He will accord you leadership of the thing. Paul, Timothy serves Paul. But Paul says he's serving with me. Have you ever taken the time to read, just put 1 Thessalonians, just one example, chapter 1, verse 1. Look at how Paul opens this. Paul, Silvanus, and who? Silvanus here is Silas. Paul and Silas in Acts 16, a thorny child, right? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians. Timothy accords Silas, sorry, Paul accords Silas and Timothy co-authorship with 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Check. We often think this was written by Paul. No, Paul says, three of us here addressing matters. You see, when you serve the Father, eventually the Father will have no problem putting you alongside Him. It's not like you're equal. Yes, we're all equal before God. But equality does not set aside functional diversity. We're functionally different. We're functionally different. But from God's perspective, when we push His purpose and we function in our place in rank, from His perspective, He accorded Jooyeda kingship in His eyes. So do not be ambitious. My point is don't be ambitious to lead the thing. Support the best you can. Because, let me say this, there is a God in heaven that sees. There's a God in heaven that sees. The word Jehoiada means the Lord knows. That's what this guy's name means. It means the Lord knows. He might be thinking, I'm doing my bit to support this king, preserve the Davidic line from which the Messiah is going to come. No one can see my efforts, but there's a God in heaven that can see exactly what he's doing. And this for me was symptomatically expressed. When the man dies, God says, he doesn't deserve an ordinary death. You buried this one with the kings. Tell someone you're a king in God's eyes. Now say purpose, guys. Come on, purpose. You see, if you don't understand purpose, your support will wane. Must understand purpose. Amen? Must understand purpose. Now, to encourage you in this, I want to just go to a few verses of Scripture. Three, uh, John 3, 34 says the following. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his, his work. In fact, the context here, the disciples had gone away into the city to buy meat for a bride. So they come back after he spoke to the woman at the well. And this is the end of it. They come back and uh, they say to him, oh, uh, you don't have any meat, have you? He says, no. They, they picture this guy's got parcels from Bluff Meat Supply. The disciples are stacking, have a sex, bride, the charcoal. And they come, oh, they, they say, you haven't got meat. Well, the meat says, yeah. Jesus used the occasion to drive home, eh? Prince, he says, my food, you talk about meat. The thing that you're so pursuant after. The thing that you need to survive, the thing you need to nourish you. He says, for me, that is one thing. Everyone say, do the will. Come on, say, do the will. 
Jesus says, doing the will is my meat. Doing the will is my food. Doing the will is the thing that drives me. Jesus is saying, my nyama, my meat. You want to talk about the thing that gives me fuel. He says, it's one thing, doing the will. Let me encourage you, brethren. Listen carefully to me. My exhortation to you is, don't leave this life not having done God's will. Don't on your funeral day, when we all gathered and your casket is before us, and we're saying bye-bye to your body, let it not be said of you, this guy, this woman, did nothing to push God's purposes. Let it not be said of you, they were, they were on their own beat. They were not a Timothy, they were after their own interests. They did their own thing, but they never did God's will. Let me just say this to you, doing God's will in two respects. Doing what is good and just and honest and pure, behaving like a son of God is one thing. But then when I talk about will here, I'm talking about there's a divine purpose attached to your leader that you must, you must support and, and fulfill, okay? John 5, 30, I can do nothing of my own initiative as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will. Everyone say, I do not seek my own will. I do not seek my own will, but of the will of him that, that sent me. This is how you must live. If I can appeal to you at any level today, in the short time I have, brethren, do not live unto yourself. Brethren, do not live for your own inclinations, for your own desires, for your own ambitions. Some of you will never make a sacrifice if it doesn't concern you. But if it concerns another or particularly the will of God, then there's no sacrifice involved. For me, you've not prioritized purpose. You don't seek God's kingdom first and His righteousness, but you want the result. You want all things added to you. But His agenda is far from you. You're not prioritizing what He wants, but you want the blessing. The blessing comes to those who push His purpose. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in, in heaven. John 6, 38. I have come down from heaven not to do my own thing, not to do my own will, but of the will of Him that sent me. If there was ever a man in human history that did not live unto himself, it's the Lord Jesus. Look at this table. He died. This is what He came for. This wasn't His idea. It was His Father's. I send you. You go, you die unto your own ambition. You do what I tell you to do. That's the, that's the disposition of a son of God. Amen? Don't do what you want to do. Do what I tell you. And Jesus, so often, i got so many scriptures here because of time, I won't do it. This kind of scripture is replete throughout the Gospels. He, said, he would say this over and over and over again. I have not come to do my will, but the will of him that, that sent me. Now, the Lord gave me this verse last week, 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 4, verse 1 and 2. And listen to it very carefully because this is a warning for us all. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has done what from sin? Has ceased from sin. Now listen carefully. Sometimes... To get us ceasing from sin, God orders suffering for us. 
Because in the process of some trial, in the process of some difficulty, some, um, some um, adversity that God orders for you, it seems as though humans are more prone and resolved in those instances than if there was no problem. You are more determined in a problem than outside of a problem. Sometimes when the heat is turned on, God orders the suffering. You then resolve, I will not do that again. Yeah? If you are stealing and stealing and stealing and not caught, let's say, then you find, hey, I could be locked up for life. I will never go there. Judge, please be merciful to me. Not going to do that again. Sometimes in the midst of faced with a certain trial, your resolve to be obedient is intensified. Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus? Son, though he was, Hebrews I'm quoting, he learned obedience how? By the things he suffered. Say this after me. Obedience can be learned. One way or another, you're going to learn. I would say, learn the easy way. Don't wait for God to order a trial for you, for you to cease from sin. This Bible says concerning Jesus, he suffered. Part of suffering resolves the man, brings the man to a place of resolve, says, I will not sin. I will not go there again. God, please forgive me. Why? Look at the next verse. Why? The next verse tells us, so as to live what? The rest of the time. Say the rest of the time. I beg you, the rest of your time. I only am 50 years old. You know when Jehoiada died, he died at 100 and, that's where I get my 130 from, by the way, from Jehoiada. This guy died at 100 and, Job died at 120. I said to the Lord, take me out at 130. I said, Lord, this guy, Jehoiada, the supportive son to King Joash, lived for 130. I want that. I want 10 more than Job. <laughs> Job was 120, good enough. I want 10 more, right? But I said to the Lord, it's your time. I will live there. There were times in my life when I did my own thing. There were times in my life when a holiday, God didn't have a space in it. It was all about me. Nothing about him. Nothing about his agenda. There was a time in my finances, God was last on my list. But I've changed. God in my life had to order some trials sometimes to get Randolph to a place of exactness. I thank God for that. Because I'm more resolved. It says he lived the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer to what? To the lusts of men, but for what? For the will of God. Tell someone the will of God. Say the purpose of the Lord. That must be the thing. It must be your meat. must be your food. must be what you live for. Your will or nothing else. Don't want to go through life, God, doing X, Y, Z and having contributed nothing to your purpose. It's the will of God or nothing at all. Repeat this verse. Say it, let's do it in chorus. Come on. Verse 1 and 2. Say it loud. Read it with conviction. And let this be true of your life. Let's read it together. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. You know the word lust here is a Greek word, epithumia. And it, let me give you the definition. Listen carefully to what it means. It means strong desire. Don't just think of it in lust in sexual terms. It can apply to sexual related context, but the word lust can apply to any desire. It's a strong desire for anything. But you know what men desire and people in generally, their desires are for, for so many other things. It's like this, the Greek said, an inordinate, um, irregular appetite. Everyone say inordinate, irregular appetite. If you tell me that rugby game is more important than a kingdom initiative, I have a serious problem with that. Rugby will pass away, but the word of God will endure forever. Soccer will pass away, but the word of God and the will of God is forever. Yeah. Why there's no amens? Sport is an idol in most churches I've seen. There's no competition if there's a significant game on on TV and at the same time a major service organized. Guess what? The house will be empty. I put the money down. And yet we say we want the will of God. But this inordinate, irregular appetite for a thing that rivals God's place, we give in so easily to it. And yet we say, your will above everything else, Lord doesn't work. doesn't work. Yeah. Everyone say, love God. Love God completely. Nothing must rival Him. Nothing must threaten His place within your life. Amen? Nothing at all must, must even come close to, to rivaling Him. Okay, I'm going to go very fast. Acts 18 verse 27. They wanted to go across to Achaia. The brethren encouraged him. This is Barnabas. Apollos, sorry. And he wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Now, everyone say, Apollos helped others. I said to you, to receive help, you must so help. He did not just help others. The Bible says he, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. So this guy is not winning new converts. They are believers there. He simply comes in and he helps those who have already believed. His, his, his focus is, I will anchor you, I will consolidate you, I will ma mature you. Now, how did he help them? Look at the next verse. It says this. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Everyone say, he did it by the scriptures. He, he proved to them Jesus was the Christ. Now, just let me, I know this is a lot deep, it can be a deep theological discussion. In the Bible, there's a difference between Jesus, Christ, Christ, Jesus, and Christ. Paul would use the terms variously. Uh, it's a long, long discussion, but let me just try and unpack it for you in two minutes. Whenever the Bible uses the word Jesus Christ, it refers that the humanity of Christ is emphasized. It was the man Jesus, the Jew, who lived on this planet for 33 and a half years, but in his humanity, he reflected Christ. So everyone say Jesus Christ. 
it's not a name and a surname. It's an emphasis on the fact that he was an ordinary human but a divine component in him. When the Bible says, and Paul, Paul most often would only use the phrase Christ Jesus. He would use Jesus or Christ in some places, but most often he would say Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this. Did Paul know him physically? Paul knew him by revelation, right? So he switches the term, says Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is a reference to his resurrected, ascended state. He knew him after his resurrection and ascension. So the term Christ Jesus, a reference to his ascended or resurrected state. But whenever the scriptures use the word Christ only, without a reference to Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, the term Christ is a reference to the pre-existent, listen carefully, eternal being called God, in whom is Father, Son, and Spirit called Christ collectively. If you understand the book of Colossians, it says in Jesus, the fullness of deity dwelt how? Bodily. So Father, Son, and Spirit dwelt in him. And so when, 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 when Jesus says to the disciples, whom the men say I am, what did Peter say? What did Peter say? Listen, you are what? You are the what? The Christ, comma, the son of. What was Peter saying? You are man, you are Jew, you are Jesus, Mary your mother, Joseph your father. Everything about you is human, but I can see in this case called human, I see something I don't see Jesus. I see who? I see fullness of Father, Son, and Spirit in you. But in an earth-based context, all of that is expressed through the medium of Son. Christ, Son of the, the living God, right? Are you all with me? So understand when it says, you read scriptures like this. Apollos demonstrated from the scriptures that what? That Jesus was the Christ. Are we helping those who believe too? This ministry, me, yes? Talk to me, church. Are we helping those who believe? What are we helping them to do? My focus is, I want to demonstrate too, like Apollos did, I want to demonstrate by the scriptures how a human being, that's you, how a human being can have the fullness of deity Christ, Father, Son, and Spirit manifest in His humanity. That's how we, we read this for us today. So what we do, we write manuals. We record audio sermons. Videos when we can. I'm dying to get a video machine here. Right? Videos where we can, using every available platform. Tell you about every platform. Say it again, every platform. Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, YouTube, iTunes, whatever. Say whatever. What is my heart? Go back to the scripture before. Please, you've got to hear this. What is my heart? Repeat after me. Greatly help those who believe. Come on, say greatly help those who believe. And go to the next verse. When I do this, I'm trying to demonstrate to all sons of God how you can mature like Jesus did, and in your flesh humanity, you can express the fullness of deity. 
wherever you are, that is our purpose. Say purpose. I'm saying come on board with purpose. Come on board. Stop living to your own lusts, inordinate appetites, irregular appetites. Stop living life for your own game. Like Jesus lived the rest. Of, you know, I can't get this phrase out of my spirit. Say the rest of the time. I'm saying the rest of your time, make it count. And I'm saying don't wait until you're old before you make this resolve. Give the best energetic years of your life to the purposes of the Lord. Yeah? Do it now. Say, I'm going to drive this purpose. I'm going to get this done. And I want to encourage you to come on board with this. You can support me. Listen carefully. I know the biblical basis for this. You can support me in this. And when you do, when you die, God will not say, Randolph did it. God will say, there was someone alongside. They both did. God did not say, Joash, Jehoiada, bury him with the king. God did not say, Timothy only. Timothy says, he served with me. He was right there. Okay? And so this requires great grace and humility. I want to leave this verse in your spirit. Psalm 68, verse 11. New King James. Everyone say, let's repeat this, repeat this after me. Say, the Lord gave the word. Say, great was the company who proclaimed it. So by the way, this word company is literally women in the original. Look at the NASB. So women, you have a natural ability, yes? Yeah? So please use this not for your own purposes, for the, for the Lord. The Lord gives the command. And the women who proclaim the good tidings are what? A great host. Go back to King James. I'm going to use the term great company. The Lord gave the word great was the company of those who proclaimed it. I want to ask you seriously, church, will you be a proclaimer? Use the rest of your time for the glory of God. Use it for, for kingdom purposes. Everyone say the word of God must be preeminent. Must be the main thing. Amen. And I want to encourage you, join me in becoming this big cargo ship that takes grace to the nations. Amen? I make it so easy for you. You can like, you can share on, on, on online. But more importantly, your greatest support comes from listening to the word and obeying it. Pastor Thamo, for the last two Sundays, did a series. He's still busy with the series on righteousness. But he focused on God's righteous design for marriages. I gave you not a suggestion. I gave you an instruction, church. All couples listen to that together. I want to show of hands on how many of you have done that. If you haven't done it, before Sunday, I'm saying this to you by the command of the Lord. Before Sunday, do it. You know why? Put Joshua 1.8 quickly. What's going to make you successful, Bernie, in life? It's the Word of God. Nothing else. We've got a Bible here. This book, look at that. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth. But you shall do what? Meditate therein. When? Not now and then when you feel like it. Daily. That you might observe to do. That's obedience. All that's written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have Good success. People tell me this grace doesn't work. Look at me. I'm always in need. Look at me. Not working out for me. I challenge you. What about the book? You want good success. Everyone say good success. 
I'm telling you, God's word never fails. This book never fails. If there's no success in my life, I won't blame X, Y, and Z. I will look to myself and say, to what extent am I listening, meditating, thinking about things, listening to sermons, reading the book over and over and over again? This is the reason for my success. Everyone say this book. He did not say a book. For God to tell Joshua this book, it meant the book had to be nearby for him to make reference. This one. Some of our Bibles are not even like we used to do in the parts next to our bedsides anymore. For most of us, the first thing on, in the morning would be to check our phones or our Facebook accounts. Where have we lost the plot? Where have we lost it? Some of us are expecting our children to be spiritually fine when we are doing nothing to demonstrate to them how to be. When last did your child see you read the Bible? Is your child growing up with an image in their mind, Daddy and Mommy, love God's Word? I remember growing up where the Bible was my passion. It was my all in all. God wrote it for me. So I better take it seriously. I want to encourage all the people, all, all the, the youngsters here. Love the Bible. Don't go to bed without reading it. Couples, read it together. Don't cease from sin after suffering and live the rest of your time to the will of God. Today is a defining day for all of us. Amen. Hallelujah. Say from today, God's will or not my will. Nothing must rival God's place in our lives. It must be the will of God or no will at all. Psalm 40, there's a verse there that says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, for your law is in my heart. Everyone say, I delight. I delight to do your will. Amen. I'm not going to pray. Do you receive the word of the Lord? Yes? Do you receive it? Amen. Stand with me. If ever there was somebody that lived his life to the will of God, it's the Lord Jesus. And you know what? Even when it cost him the most, that's his death, how did he pray in the garden? When the thought of not doing God's will was too great, when he said, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering, uh, what were his words? Nevertheless. Everyone say, nevertheless. Nevertheless. Not my will, but thy will be done. And he went through the pain of the grueling experience of a Roman crucifixion, which was the harshest in their day, the most torturous, saying, I believe in his heart, not my will. If it's going to cost me everything, then I'll pay the ultimate price. Not my will, but thy will be done. Amen. So I want to invite you to come to an enactment of someone that lived life to the fullest, to the will of God, not to his own will and inclination. I ask you as you do this this morning, surrender your will to the will of the Lord. Say, God, it's all you or nothing at all. So come, let's come from the back. Come and receive the emblems. You can 